Hello and welcome to the commentary for lesson 372. This is Hosea chapters 13 and 14. So it's been a while since I've done a lesson. We had Christmas and New Year's and I've been very busy. I'm sure y'all have been too. Um, but it's good to be back and I'm excited that we're finishing up the book of Hosea. It's been a while since we finished something up and had that feeling of accomplishment. So I'm happy about that. Um, I did want to share with you some things that are going on. Uh, I have been filling in at the House of Hope for the teacher there. And so I've been working full time in the classroom as a substitute. And it's been really good, really fulfilling. And um, I feel God working in, in that situation. So that's been really great. I'm finishing up my first week, so I have several more weeks. So I'm probably not going to post a whole lot over the next few weeks just because I'm going to be pretty exhausted. I, I come home not just, you know, I haven't worked full time since my children were born. Um, my oldest is 17, so I'm not used to this, but it's really fulfilling and um, but I come home not just physically drained but emotionally drained because um, I do pour a lot out of myself into those girls and into that job and and I love it very much but anyways that's where I'm at but I did want to finish the book of Hosea and I wanted to make sure I got a post in because it hadn't happened in so long so anyways uh, here we have more of God's wrath the Lord's anger against Israel. Verse one says, when the tribe of Ephraim spoke, the people shook with fear for that tribe was important in Israel. But the people of Ephraim sinned by worshiping Baal and thus sealed their destruction. So we've been talking about this in the last few chapters of Hosea. And it's clear, um, it is interesting that Ephraim is mentioned specifically as you know, this is a tribe of Israel that had power, they had prestige, they had respect from the other tribes. But they, you know, when someone in a position of power and authority over others or people of great reputation, when they start sinning and worshiping false gods, it leads others to do the same. And so that's why God has come down really hard on them, similar to how a few chapters ago we read about how he came down hard on the priests. Um, you know, they're held to a higher standard. And so their sin creates a huge problem because others will, fo will follow. So it's clear here, as it has been for a while in this book, that their punishment for sin is death. Make no mistake. Verse 2 gives a little more detail about what they were doing and how bad it's gotten there. It says, Now they continue to sin by making silver idols, images shaped skillfully with human hands. So, remember way back in the Old Testament, we read about some pagan nations that would worship uh, the goddess of the sea or they would, you know, they would worship God's creation. But here now they're worshiping things that Man made himself, which is crazy too. And they're sacrificing to these idols that they made. And they're kissing, it says, and kiss the calf idols. That's just bizarre. And it just lets you know how far they've fallen 
from God and from understanding what he has for them. They are obviously not walking in relationship with God. Um, so he's angry and he's had it. And verse four, this is interesting. It says, I have been the Lord your God ever since I brought you out of Egypt. You must acknowledge no God but me. That's no surprise. But then it says, for there is no other savior. The fact that the word savior is used. And by the way, I looked at all other translations. They all say savior, the ones that I looked at, including the King James Version. So. You know, we think of Jesus as being our savior, but God has the power to ransom us from the grave. And we talk about that later in verse 14, where God says, should I ransom them from the grave? Should I redeem them from death? Of course he could, but God is holy and just. And so we have a problem because their punishment for sin is death. Verse six, this puts things in perspective. And I I don't know, I I feel like we, we can definitely identify with this. We've seen it. We've probably done this. Um, It says, but when you had eaten and were satisfied, you became proud and forgot me. When we're going through pain and trials and suffering, that is when, if we're children of God, when we turn to him and when we seek him. And sometimes, unfortunately, because he knows this, he allows that cycle to happen because he knows that when, when our bellies are full and everything's going fine, we're going to forget all about him. And it's true. We do. That's just human behavior, isn't it? Verse seven. So now I will attack you like a lion, like a leopard that lurks along the road, like a bear whose cubs have been taken away. I will tear out your heart. I mean, it goes on into all these animal metaphors of how God will destroy them, which is interesting because God uses especially lion a lot. The language of a lion um, and the metaphor of a lion in throughout the Bible. But I want to turn back to Leviticus 26, verse 22. Well, first of all, I'll tell you this section in chapter 26 is all about the punishment for disobedience. God, when they came into the land of Canaan, he set everything out before them. He said, this is all yours. All you got to do is come in and take it. I'm going to be in front of you and I'm going to conquer the lands for you. This is your special territory, but you have to do it exactly as I say. And they failed to, to do that. And instead of destroying the pagan nations like they were supposed to, they lived amongst those people. They married those, the men married those women. They started to take on some of their cultural and religious ceremonies. They, some of their cultural and religious beliefs and cult-like behavior, they started to follow that. And obviously God sees that as idol worship and he will not have it. So, but anyways, in the punishments for disobedience, it goes on and on and says all of the things that he will do. And it's like, he's going in waves. Like I'm going to punish you in this way. And I'm going to bring these terrors upon you. You're going to have diseases and fevers and your eyes will fail and your life will ebb away and your crops will fail 
you know, your, your enemies will eat your crops. And, and if that doesn't work and you continue in spite of all of this suffering, see, he gives us suffering so that we will wake up and come to him. So that's interesting in eight, verse 18. And if in spite of all this, you still disobey me, right? I will punish you seven times over for your sins. Then I will break your proud spirit by making the skies as unyielding as iron and the earth as hard as bronze. I don't know what that means other than maybe um, rain will not fall and the land will not yield crops. And we can assume that because the very next scripture says all your work will be for nothing for the land will yield no crops and your trees will bear no fruit. And what is the primary way that... God controls that situation is by not allowing it to rain. So that kind of brings sense of the scripture before it. So, and then of course he says, and even if then you still remain hostile to me and refuse to obey me, I will inflict disaster on you seven times over for your sins. Here's the key though. Verse 22, I will send wild animals that will rob you of your children and destroy your livestock. Your numbers will dwindle and your roads will be deserted. So all of the things that God said back in Leviticus 26, all of these things are happening. It's not like they didn't know. It's not like God didn't give them ample chances to get it right. And before we read of God's love for Israel, and we, were, we learned that he really didn't want to do this. It pained him to do this to his people. But that's where he's at. You are about to be destroyed, O Israel. Yes, by me, your only helper. See, God is there to love us, to care for us, to guide us and direct us. But when we reject him, he'll try to shake us up to get us back on track. But we continue over and over and over to reject him. And you see here with the Israelites that there comes a point where God says enough is enough. And he gets angry. And he says, now where is your king? Let him save you. Remember, they wanted a king. Verse 11, it says, in my anger, I gave you kings. And in my fury, I took them away. Which reminds us of the truth. You know, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. We get a little proud sometimes. We think that, well, I did all the right things and I made good choices. And that is true sometimes. But ultimately, God is the giver of blessings. And he allows us to have what we have. He allows us uh, to have the skills and abilities to gain what we have. And I don't, don't just mean in a sense of material wealth, but I'm talking about um, the gifts that he gives us, right? The abilities that he gives us, the relationships. There's a lot of ways that we are blessed by God. Um, and we need to give credit where credit is due. Verse 12 says, Ephraim's guilt has been collected and his sin has been stored up for punishment. That's interesting to me because it seems sometimes you know, like the wicked just go unpunished and they get away with everything. Not only that, it seems like they prosper and it doesn't seem fair, but this, this verse is reassurance that, you know, God is just. And even though it seems like these people are never getting what they deserve, it's nice to know that it's not forgotten 
and it will all come to account. I'm going to read that verse again because that's that's reassuring to me. Maybe it shouldn't be, but it is. Ephraim's guilt has been collected and his sin has been stored up for punishment. God is just. God is holy. Down in verse, let's see, 15, it says, All their flowing springs will run dry, their wells will disappear. Every precious thing they own will be plundered and carried away. The people of Samaria must bear the consequences of their guilt because they rebelled against their God. They will be killed by an invading army. And that, of course, is Assyria. And then it gets really graphic. And I'm not going to read that because that just disturbs me so bad. But um, then verse 14, we're switching gears quite a bit because... We've seen the waves of God's wrath throughout Hosea, and here it seems in chapter 13, this is a climax of God's wrath, right? They are on the precipice of this punishment coming into full reality. And then chapter 14, Hosea is telling the people, you can repent and heal. God is going to punish, and there is no escape from the punishment that he's bringing. But there's still hope. It doesn't have to be the end, as we know it. So he says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for your sins have brought you down. Bring your confessions and return to the Lord. Say to him, Forgive all our sins and graciously receive us, so that we may offer you our praises. I love that. Hosea is saying, God, we realize what we've done and we realize that it's our own fault and that our sins brought us down and we're making a confession to you, Lord, and we want you back. We want you in our lives again. Forgive us of our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you our praises. This is a message to us today. I mean, it doesn't matter... (sighs) Um, there is no sin so great that God can't redeem you. There is nothing that you've done that is so bad that God won't restore you if you do these things. Hosea even gave them the words to say, you have to do it with a sincere heart. God knows a faker when he sees one. Bring your confessions, return to the Lord, say to him, forgive all our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you our praise. That means we are sorry, God, we feel bad and we won't do it again. That's what I make my kids say when they say they're sorry. I say, I don't believe you are. Sorry means I feel bad and I won't do it again. And earnestly seeking him. He knows that. That's all he wants. Then it continues in verse 3. Assyria cannot save us, nor can our war horses. Never again will we say to the idols we have made, you are our gods. No, in you alone do the orphans find mercy. They're talking about themselves as orphans because they're going to lose a lot of their people. This is after they're broken. They are orphaned. They've lost their home, their land, and most of their families. So yeah, all of the things that they put their faith in before, their armies, their war horses, their idols, they realized 
that all of those things were misplaced, that their, that their worship was misplaced, that they put their faith in the wrong things. The Lord says, this is verse four, then I will heal you of your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds for my anger will be gone forever. He will not just forgive, but he will forgive with no clauses. (laughs) Oh yeah, well, remember that time? He's never going to remember. He's never going to remind you of that time. It's over. It's done. We're the ones that keep going back to the trough and bringing it up again, right? That sin that he's already forgiven us for. And we go back and we roll in the mud again. It's, It's done. It's a clean slate. I will be to Israel like a refreshing dew from heaven. Israel will blossom like the lily. It will send roots deep into the soil like the cedars in Lebanon. My people again will again live under my shade. They will flourish like grain and blossom like grapevines. They will be as fragrant as the vines, as the wines of Lebanon. So he hasn't even gone through the destruction yet and letting them be taken away by Assyria and he's already telling them this is going to happen there's no escape from the punishment however there is hope you can come back to me I will restore you I will love you it'll be like it never happened I will forgive you that's beautiful That's, that's the gospel before we even get to Jesus so we see God's Even though he's holy and just, and even though he has wrath, you see where his heart is and what he really desires to have with us. Verse 8 wraps it up nicely, and 9 also actually. So it says, O Israel, stay away from idols. I am the one who answers your prayers and cares for you. I am like a tree that is always green. All your fruit comes from me. Everything you have, everything you are, like I said before, it all comes from me. I'm all you need. Verse 9, let those who are wise understand these things. Let those with discernment listen carefully. The paths of the Lord are true and right, and righteous people live by walking in them. Love that. So, um... I'm always excited to finish up a chapter, and that finishes up Hosea. So I'm going to read from my um, basic Bible pocket guide by Jim George. And this has book-by-book summaries, and I just love how it it, uh, just kind of gives an overall summary of all the chapters of Hosea. It has a key verse, and that is from chapter 2, verse 23. I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people, and they shall say, you are my God. The theme of Hosea is unfaithfulness. It was written by Hosea. Here's the summary. Hosea is about unfaithfulness, and it is the first of a series of 12 prophetic books called the Minor Prophets not because they are less important, but primarily because of the lengths of these books. Each of the minor prophets is named after its author. The book of Hosea details the unhappy domestic union of a man and his unfaithful wife, Gomer. Their story serves as a vivid parallel of the loyalty of God and the spiritual adultery in Israel. With empathetic sorrow, Hosea, whose name means salvation, exposed the sins of Israel and contrasted them with to God's holiness. 
Hosea's personal suffering gave him a better understanding of God's grief over Israel's sin. Life Application Like Hosea, you too will experience times of emotional and physical suffering. However, rather than becoming bitter or giving up, you can allow God to use your suffering to comfort others in their pain. Stay loyal to God. Be faithful to Him no matter what, because He is always faithful to you. And then repentance is the first step on the path back to your relationship with God. That's it for today. Hope you all have a great day. I will talk to you soon.